In an ideal world, there will be one model that serves all the different ecosystem purposes. Unfortunately, we don't live in the ideal world, and there is no one model that fits all the different digital ecosystems or crypto ecosystems. So when it comes to token, there isn't one ideal token economics model or tokenomics model that could fit into all your different ecosystems. That being said though, there are frameworks available that will talk about the different variables and different perspectives and different aspects and principles to apply into building your ecosystem and into building your principles of your ecosystem. In the past 10 weeks, we have covered quite a bit of different case studies, different crypto and non-crypto examples, as well as some economic principles so that you can get a rough idea of what it means when we're talking about economics design. It's more than just having one model that fits into your ecosystem. It's not just about designing the tokens of your ecosystem. It's a lot more than that. It's about resolution, about governance, about your monetary policy, about your network effects, about your network design, about your incentive models. There's so many aspects into that. So in this episode, we're going to deep dive into what I've been researching for two years, which is the framework, the, the complete framework of how you can start building your token ecosystem. Today, we're going to cover three things. One, what is the token economics framework? Two, what are the different aspects, the elements to consider? There are nine big um, boxes to consider, three pillars, nine big boxes, and in between them, there are a lot more variables to consider. And three is how can we use them? So buckle your seatbelt and let's get started. What is the token economics model? When we talk about token economics, it's not just simply about applying the economics that's available out there and then applying it to your digital system. The thing is, economics has changed, just like how viruses evolve, just like how humans have been evolving, just like how DNA has evolved. Economics has also evolved. We started all the way in the old economics, where it's, it's an accounting system. It's a, it's a physical ledger of different aspects, different resources of goods being created, reproduced, and there's a cost to reproduction, and you have all your, your production costs, your marginal costs, and all that kind of stuff. If I want to produce one more phone, one more iPhone, there's a cost to produce one more iPhone. But if I take a snapshot of the iPhone and I send it to you, it's free because all I do is just copy and paste. When there is a cost to producing one more iPhone, that is called a marginal cost. So the cost of producing one additional iPhone. And the cost is more than zero because you have your different raw materials for the iPhone. But for an image, that's it. You know, you take a picture, you just send it to everyone, you share it on Twitter, people download it, people re-upload it, and it's free, it's just available out there. So there is no cost to that. And so the marginal cost is zero. Because of that, the whole dynamics, the whole understanding of supply-demand, the whole idea of costing, changes quite a bit because we are no longer looking at our economy, our physical economy, our real-world economy, as just a simple mathematics as, okay, the cost, to, the cost of batteries, the cost of glass, the cost of the metals, and the cost of copper and all the other materials needed to build the iPhone. All we have to do now is just copy and paste. So the cost structure has changed. Because of that, our whole idea of economics, our whole idea of how we calculate economics has also changed. It, it, it's not a drastic change, but it has to keep continuously evolve. In digital goods, the cost, the fixed cost, you know, the initial cost to produce something, it's a lot more than the other kind of costs involved. So this is one of the big changing factors. The other thing is also that because previously we had money, we had these kind of costs that's quite obvious to organize all these, coordinate all these transactions within our ecosystem. Today, because the cost structure has changed, so how are we going to coordinate all these transactions in place? In, in a very private group, so for example, private blockchain, like, your, like Corda or 
um, Hyperledger Fabric. They are governed by a private blockchain, which means that you need to you need to be approved to enter. And because you need to be approved to enter, you have to abide by the rules. Because if you don't abide, if you don't abide by the rules, you're kicked out of the group. That allows some form of coordination. But in public blockchains, you know, you have all these debts going on, all these decentralized finance applications. You have Ethereum, you have Bitcoin, and nobody owns them at all. So in these kind of ecosystems, how do we coordinate? We don't have rules. We have rules, but people don't have to 100% abide by the rules because they cannot be exactly kicked out. So how do we coordinate that? How do we coordinate transactions between different participants? So this is where we have a token coming in. A token doesn't necessarily mean monetary value, a token just represents value. It doesn't have to be monetary value, it can just be any value add that the ecosystem produces that can be used to be transferred within your ecosystem. The easiest way is monetary value and that's why one of the first use cases is always uh, cryptocurrencies instead of crypto products or crypto tokens. Digital tokens don't necessarily mean cryptocurrencies, they could have different kind of functions. But cryptocurrencies itself is one of the biggest use cases because it's the easiest to measure its value in terms of monetary value, hence currency. That being said, there are a lot of other functions available, like a utility function, a security function, a stablecoin, like a packed function, and then you've got a lot of other functions that are emerging as the ecosystem continues to grow. So these functions are not, are not standard or are not fixed. They can have different types of functions and you can have two functions in one token of which one of them will be a, a more dominant primary function. For example, we have BNB token that we talked about last week, where that has a, a fundamental function of a utility token, and then your secondary function performs as a form of currency. So tokens can have different kind of functions. Tokens, tokens can have different types of um, utility as well. And that's not fixed. What it just represents is to represent value that can be used and that can be transacted within your ecosystem as a form of coordination. Now let's, let's get started with the more you know, nitty-gritty stuff, which I think is super interesting. What I've been doing for the past two years is to really deconstruct economics into its principles. So I personally believe that principles don't change. Everything else changes, but principles don't change, or they take a very long time to change, so they, they don't really evolve. Because of that, we can always apply principles and adapt them to different situations. So in economics, we don't have laws. It's, in physics, you can argue that there are laws available. I know a lot of the, my physics friends will not agree with that. To me, gravity is, is law. You can go anywhere in the world. You can weigh whatever weight you are. You can be a feather. You can be a rock. Gravity will still act on you. It's a law. It's a fundamental law that cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. And you can't argue against it. Gravity is gravity, right? In physics, you have these kind of laws. I'm just comparing physics, hard science, with economics and soft science. Soft sciences, you don't really have laws in place, which is why soft sciences are so much more difficult, like economics. In economics, we don't have laws per se, but we have principles. Principles that, that are more or less quite congruent with time. Sure, you have different school of thoughts in the macroeconomics perspective, but the principles don't change. And we talked about economic principles in, the, in two episodes before on supply and demand and behavioral economics. So these are two principles that so far are more or less pretty standard. You have some exceptions here and there, but these are still quite fundamental principles of economics. So what I've been doing for the past two years was to take all these economics concepts. You have your agent principle model, you have your game theory, asymmetric information, your um, information theory, monetary policies, all these different economic fields and school of thoughts coming together. 
break them down, deconstruct them into principles, applying these principles to build a framework for economics. Why do I want to do that? Why don't I just use principles that are already out in place? Now, it's simple that I just said, because economics has evolved with time. We're no longer in just the physical world. We are also moving into a physical and digital world. And with this coronavirus, you see that everything is moving more digital. And with that, the economics of these digital ecosystems have changed. Because the economics keep changing, we have to also update the economic frameworks with time and frameworks with what the changing society is, is demanding. Hence, this economics framework. This economics framework is divided into three pillars. You have market design, mechanism design, and token design. Market design was talked about a few episodes ago to give you an idea of what it is. But I think it's better to give you a full picture first of what token economics framework is, then it makes everything will start falling to pieces a lot easier. So this token economics framework is really focusing on creating or designing the economics where you have tokens as your incentive model. If you don't have tokens as your incentive model, it's also fine. You just remove one of the pillars. So what are the three pillars then? As I mentioned, it's market design first. And market design is the design in which your, your tokens evolve in. Not just tokens, but your participants interact with. So if, you, if you're talking about, you know, uh, we have different kind of fishes, what the market design is, how do you design your pond or your aquarium for these fishes to be swimming around and to interact with each other? So instead of fishes, we have tokens and participants. How, do we, how are we creating this environment to, to allow them to interact with each other, for it to be safe, for them to interact, to trade, to continue using the environment? The second is mechanism design. Mechanism design is also what we call the rules of the game. It's the opposite of game theory. So game theory is where you have, you have different strategies and then you find out what the outcome is. It's like in chess, you know, your knight move, moves this way and your king moves this way. And based on all the different movements, you can decide what the outcome would be. That would be game theory, you know, an analysis of decision making. Mechanism design is the opposite. Mechanism design is, this is the objective that I want, this is the outcome that I want. What kind of rules can I put in place? So if I get to change the, the way knight, the knight piece and the, the, um, the king pieces on chess moves, if this is a specific, there's a specific uh, outcome that I want, how can I design the new movements or the new um, strategies of knight, new movement of knight pieces and king pieces so that I can get the outcome that I want? So that is mechanism design. How do you design the mechanism to reach the objectives that you want? So once again, so that it's not confusing, game theory is to analyze the outcome. Mechanism design is based on the outcome. I want to create the rules in place. That's it. So we, we know the outcome that we want. The outcome is basically the objectives of designing this ecosystem. Economics design is all about having a, an objective in mind. And then you design the, the incentives and mechanisms to achieve that objective or to achieve that end result, the decision at the end. So what kind of mechanisms can we put in place? So that's pillar two, mechanism design. And then pillar three is token design. Token design is optional, as I mentioned, because some ecosystems just don't require tokens. For example, in private, private blockchains, some of them just don't require tokens. So it's okay, you don't have to care about tokens. But what tokens essentially are, is that tokens are the incentive mechanism, or, or tokens are the incentive itself, to allow for coordination within your ecosystem. Because your ecosystem can be too big, too great, and you have too many individuals coming into your ecosystem, 
that governance alone, you know, proper rules in place are not enough to deter people from misbehaving. So you have incentives, which are your tokens itself, to incentivize people to behave and act according to what you want. I know it sounds very, you know, mastermind, puppet master, but no, it's, it's just design. If you look at other types of design, like a marketing design or graphical design, these are things that they also consider the, what are the outcomes that, we, that you want and how do you, how do you design something towards the outcome that you want. We're just doing it in a different form instead of marketing or instead of drawing graphic and instead of printing a very beautiful or writing a very beautiful copy. What we're doing is designing the, the economics or the mechanism or the more technical nitty gritty behind the scene kind of stuff. And that's why it's very interesting. So let's, let's look a little bit more at what the different pillars are. I've designed the framework into a, a very nice little table and there are nine boxes in each. So in each pillar, so you have market design, mechanism design, token design. In each pillar, you have three boxes. And in each box, you have other variables involved. I, I think it's very important to go to go um, broad to very narrow. So the broad one will be the, the design, the different pillars itself. You have to design the environment, you have to design the rules, then you have to design the incentive itself. Those are the three pillars. Then within each pillar, you have more like broader subcategories of each different pillar to consider. And within each category, then you have more variables, sub-variables that continuously expand as the ecosystem evolves, grows, and new types of ecosystem emerges. I think that's a, a neater way to get started. Because the thing is, there is no one-size-fits-all fits mechanism or one-size-fits-all model. But there are frameworks available, like this framework for instance, where you can pick and choose the kind of variables that is suitable for you and for your ecosystem, and then you can pick them to design them. Also, the thing is, these, this is not exclusive, right? There are a lot more variables or a lot more categories that will continuously evolve. So this framework will continuously be updated as the ecosystem grows, as more research and literature is available. That being said, it's still good enough to use and get started. Another thing is that all these variables are things that can be designed, can be designed within your control as a designer, within your control as an economist to design them. There are a lot of other factors and variables out there that you just can't control, like people's reaction to things, how speculative the market is, secondary markets, and a lot of other things that you simply just can't control. Although you can have the, you can follow this to, to the T and design the most beautiful design ever, also bear in mind that there are things that's not within your control. Because you can't control them, they can be quite important factors that could affect the success of your ecosystem itself. Let's get started with market design. Market design has three factors, thickness, no congestion, and safety. Thickness is where you have enough people involved or enough participants so that they can, there are options available and they can transact with each other. If there are too many participants, they can be quite overwhelmed and that's where you have congestion on decision making, which is the second point. Or if you have too little, then there isn't enough options and people to trade and that's where you have a problem. So thickness is, is very important. The second thing is no congestion. Like I mentioned, if there are too many people out there, too many transactions taking place, then the network can be very congested. The network can have too many transactions going on and it's just clocked up. Especially the thing about um, blockchain and distributed ledger technology is that everything is distributed. It's, it might also take a bit more processing power to match people to, tr to reduce congestion and then it could 
increase the fees or it could make things very difficult for people to transact and take a longer waiting time and people will transact outside of your platform. Once again, if people transact out of your platform, you lose the value that you can capture within your platform and that is not good. And lastly, safety and security. You want people to feel safe to participate in your platform. Usually this can be solved by the underlying platform, the blockchain technology or blockchain platform. So for example, the underlying technology will be EOS, Ethereum, Bitcoin, you know, the base layer. So for this base layer, there are a lot of, most of them are cryptographically um, secure with um, very complicated algorithm, very complicated cryptography, very difficult to decrypt them and different types of, you know, even quantum resistant kind of encryption, which is good. So that layer is, you don't have to worry so much. The other thing would be, you know, how safe it is. Is it hackable? Can people steal your funds? If you're an exchange, how safe? Uh, do you have a custodian maybe? Or, or do people own their own private keys? Or do you keep the private keys on their behalf? And, and you could get hacked and all these kind of stuff. So these are things to consider. Let's move on to the second pillar, mechanism design. Mechanism design looks at the rules of the game. And in mechanism design, we're looking at a few things. We're looking at governance, non-financial incentives, as well as structure. Governance is super important, I think. So there's so many different variables, right? And each variable has different weightage. Not all variables are equally important. Some variables are way more important. And I would say that governance is the most important of all the variables available. But that could also de depend on your type of ecosystem. If your ecosystem is centralized, then maybe governance is not so important because the central authority will be governing it. So the other variables are more important. It really depends. Some projects really don't require decentralization. So, or some projects are not crypto-based and just digital ecosystem like, like Amazon or Facebook. Then you can have central governance and that's, that's okay because that's the business model. For decentralized ecosystems, I think that governance is very important. In governance, we're talking about two things. One is how decisions are being made, and second is how resolutions are done. Think of it as a real country. You have government, as in, you know, you have the, the council, the house, the, the senate, um, the parliament. They make decisions, so they decide how decisions are made. Resolution will be your legal courts, where you have your lawyers, your judges, your supreme court, so in the same way, we take these, these concepts into your digital ecosystems because these are very important concepts to have. With decision-making, you can think of your consensus mechanism. So for example, how many people need, needs to vote or how many percentage of vote must be yes or no for things to be passed and how many times you have to vote. So that's all how decision is being made. This is also very important because when we talk about decentralization, we're not just decentralizing the power, but we are decentralizing responsibility. That means as long as you are part of the ecosystem, you hold the, the tokens that can allow you to participate in governance, to participate in decision making, you are empowered as an individual to understand the decision making mechanisms involved so that you can be part of governance or you will be part of governance because this is your ecosystem. The thing about resolution mechanism is that part of it can be in code. So in mechanism design, Part of it can be in code plus human interaction. Part of it is more human interaction. Resolution mechanism is where you can a bit, have a bit more code involved as part of the governance. There are different resolutions available. So to prevent hacks or scams, you have your KYC AML to filter people. For example, uh, you can't send to an address that is not verified. So for example, it could be a scam. And all these things can be in place without much human interaction. It can be in code. 
Then you also have human interactions where when something really happens, when decision is a tie, so on the decision side, you can make a decision. You go to the resolution side where you have probably bodies of authorities that is intelligent enough or has enough experience to make the right decision. And then people can vote on their decision or not. Now, second variable would be the non-financial incentives. Why non-financial incentives and not just incentives? Because in the token design itself, we have financial incentives. Tokens are the incentive itself, and they usually have a financial angle because we're talking about value, and one of the easiest ways people understand value is monetary value, hence financial incentive. Whereas for mechanism design, we're just looking at a more basic understanding of non-financial incentives. And here, here we have two types. Once again, the, the one that requires more human involvement, which is your voting protocol, and the one that requires more code, which is your allocation mechanism. So voting protocol, is it really depends, and it's, I think it's another big area of research that is super fascinating and interesting. So how your voting mechanism is like, is it one person, one vote? Can you outsource the vote to someone? How do you prevent bribery or bribery of vote? How do you reduce um, voting apathy where people don't vote? How do you encourage people to vote? How do you, or do you have quadratic voting or do you have a diminishing vote? There are different kind of voting mechanisms involved and there is no one, one voting mechanism that is the best for everything. Sure, one person, one vote is the democratic way of voting and even Socrates don't really like that because there are a lot of problems with that. You have information asymmetry, you have some people having more, more knowledge and experience. They should have better voting power because they're more educated compared to someone who doesn't give a shit about anything and they have the same power as a person who is educated and experienced in the matter. This is quite unfair. I guess that's what democracy is. It's equality to everyone. So it depends on your ecosystem. If you want full democracy, one person, one vote, or if you want one user address, one vote, or one token, one vote. At the same time, it's also not fair because some people with very, very small holdings, you know, maybe they're just speculators, or maybe they're bad actors. Bad actors who just have a hundred bots that have a that have that have a hundred tokens, and because of that, you have a hundred votes. Versus someone who is a will who has a lot of tokens, so he has more at stake. So maybe he should be also given more tokens because he will vote correctly. So there are a lot of arguments and a lot of debates for voting. It's a very interesting topic on its own. And then we have allocation mechanism. Allocation mechanism is, I think it's super fun because it's something that can be coded like Bitcoin, where they have allocation mechanism. Every 10 minutes, a block is being mined and then it's allocated to the miner that has the fastest mining speed and then the miner will, will sell it and whatever will be allocated in the secondary market. But the primary market is allocated by machines. Then you have different types of allocation where you know every maybe every day or every quarter you have new tokens being minted and then how you're going to distribute to the different people. That's also that's fun, that's interesting. That's where if your ecosystem continues to increase in supply, that's how it works. If your ecosystem is you have an ICO, you distribute all your tokens and that's it, you don't have any new supply of tokens, then too bad. That's a different model and you don't have to, um, you probably don't think so much about allocation. Then you also have other mechanisms, such as ecosystems recycling the tokens. So they purchase the tokens or they collect tokens instead of burning it or staking it somewhere. They reintroduce it back into the ecosystem and it's distributed accordingly. So that's where allocation mechanism needs to come into consideration. And you don't have to do, you don't need much human inputs for that. Things can be run by a machine. And the last box in mechanism design is structure. In structure, we're looking at two things. Again, one that has more, more human touch and one with less human touch, more machine. So the more human one will be bargaining protocol and the more machine is, is community information. Bargaining protocol is how prices are being made. They can be auctioned 
you know, first price of English auction, Dutch auction, um, second price auction, all your different different auction mechanisms. It could be where sellers set the price, or it could be where buyers set the price. And the other one, which requires more more machine input, will be community information. That will be more of oracles, where the the system goes out off chain to get information, come comes back and verify with the information on chain. So that could be your different oracles that a lot of De DeFi, decentralized finance product or debts use, or it could be betting mechanisms like Augur, where the oracles will go out and get information. Community can also put information in other than the machine going out to get information, that it will verify information against each other. And lastly, we have token design. Token design is the design of the token itself, which is the incentive. With incentives, we're looking at tokens as a representation of value to incentivize people to interact, to transact, or to just do something in the ecosystem. In token design, we're looking at three things. One is token policy. In token policy, we're taking a lot of aspects from monetary policy to design your token. So this could be stuff like your interest rates, if you have interest rates. This could be stuff like your supply schedule, your supply curve. When are you introducing new supply? How are you increasing supply? And when are you increasing supply? So these are different aspects of monetary policy to consider when you're looking at your token. I just use the word monetary policy because it's, it's relevant, but this can also be used for stuff like utility tokens. This could be also used as for currency tokens. The function is currency, the function is utility. For valuation, it also depends. I'm not talking about valuation as in one perfect model that fits everything and that's the golden model in the world. There's no such thing in the world. In instead, I'm looking at different ways to value your token. The valuation depends a lot on what types of tokens they are, what the functions are, how it, how it is being used, and a lot of other variables to consider. There is no one-size-fits-all valuation, but there are a lot of different models out there to give you an idea or to give you a proxy of the valuation. So for example, you have Something that's quite big out there is the P-E ratio to give you an idea of the valuation. I don't think there is one absolute valuation ever. I mean, at the end of the day, how do we absolutely value one US dollar? It's where people all believe the valuation is just like that. So we also value one US dollar by having it compared to GBP, EU, or uh, CHF, RMB. These are ways where we get valuation by comparison. And so valuation also comes in comparing different variables, different factors to get its value. The second box in token design is financial incentives. In financial incentives, we're looking at platform activities and return to stake. Platform activities will be stuff like what are you encouraging or what are you doing to, or what are you incentivizing to allow people to, to have more activities on your platform itself. This could be referrals, this could be different types of incentives, this could be discounts with tokens. The other one will be returns to stake. One mechanism to encourage people to be keeping your token and tokens and holding it is via staking. And there are many different ways to stake, many different reasons to stake. And one important way to incentivize people from a financial perspective is your returns to stake. If you're staking as a validator, if you're staking in, as part of your DeFi network, if you're staking as a collateral, what are the different opportunity costs it is to them and what are the different returns that these people can look at. And lastly, for the third box, we're looking at architecture. In architecture, we're looking at property rights as well as distribution. For property rights, this might not, be, might not always be applicable, but I think this would be more applicable to non-fungible tokens. So the rights that is involved in your token. So tokens are incentives and tokens need not just be ERC20 tokens 
Tokens can be non-fungible. It can be like ERC721 as well. These tokens will have different types of property rights and are they going to be embedded within the token? Are they going to come with you know, more information attached? Or are they going to be transferred to the digital, uh, the address owner of the token? These are things to consider. And what does it mean to have property rights? What, does it, what, what rights does it give to token holders? An important thing to consider is that one of the best things about crypto, and once you own something, it is yours. It's yours forever. Okay, for instance, CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties is a computer game on blockchain, and you have these little kitties. If the whole company of CryptoKitties fail, the kitties will still be mine, the kitties will not be shut down, and I can still keep these kitties. So that's the right that I have. I own this property. No one can take it away from me. So that's important to remember. In esports, it's really whatever your winnings, it's not sure it's you know yours to keep, but if the server, if the main server of the company falls, like I don't know, World of Warcraft or Leaks of Legend, if it crashes, then and it's or the company decides to shut it down. You don't have access to all of this, so your years of hard work of playing game is just gone. With blockchain, you can always keep it, you can always have it, it will never be shut down. So that's the kind of rights that you have by owning this property. Sure, there are a lot of other property rights involved. Maybe you can own this and when you own this token, it gives you access to get discounts in the future or it gives you rights to purchase a different type of tokens or only this token allows you to stake. And lastly, in token architecture is distribution. Let's say there is a type of tokens where you, you have, it's linked to all the different addresses before. So I have a token and every time a transaction is being made, based on the tokens that I sell, it's a non-fungible token, and every time it's being sold, I will get part of, the, part of the proportion of the profits. So profits are being distributed along the way. Ways of distributing incentives in the ecosystem itself. So you're always incentivizing people to participate, to join, and to to add value into your ecosystem. So with that, that's your token economics framework. And lastly, how do you use the token economics framework? The token economics framework gives you an idea, or gives you a very rough skeleton for you to start designing and start building your ecosystem. Although there is no right answer to designing all these ecosystems, there is a good beginning point for you to get started designing. And once you have the framework involved, all these variables in place, or all these aspects in place, it is a lot easier to get started with the, the whole mathematical model if you are considering to do one. Once again, very important to consider, one, all the variables are not equal weightage. That means some things are more important and some things are less. Second, not every variable is important. These are variables that I, I have found from a lot of different, like a gazillion fields in economics. That being said, they, not all variables are important. So just choose the one that's important to your ecosystem and then start designing. But remember that this is only designed in the primary market. Sure, you can do some sort of financial engineering in your secondary market to support your design in the primary market, but this is primarily just your primary market. What I'm also doing with this framework is to reduce speculators because you're adding real value when you have all these variables designed. And it's important that you take note of them because they will determine the success of your ecosystem. If you want to have more of these lessons, remember to subscribe to, to the podcast. We have more weekly lessons, or if you want to look at more intense and more or more intense application, sign up to our class at education.economicsdesign.com. And lastly, if you have any more things that you're interested in that you want to know, comment below or reach out to me and I will take a look at them, do more research and then do an episode on them. Till then, I'll see you in the next week. Bye!